Numbers chapter 15, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 2. Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye are come into the land of your habitations, which I give unto you, 3. And will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice in fulfillment of a vow clearly uttered, or as a free will offering, or in your appointed seasons, to make a sweet savor unto the Lord of the herd or of the flock. 4. Then shall he that bringeth his offering present unto the Lord a meal offering of a tenth part of an ephah of fine flour mixed with the fourth part of a hin of oil. Now he's talked about offerings before and given them thorough instructions on offerings. And this chapter is kind of a recap of that, but he's just making it clear that when they give an offering for basically any reason, if it's an animal offering, they need to add a meal offering to it. And a meal offering is made of flour and oil. If they bring meat, they need to bring bread with it. The Levites are going to be eating from the offering. That's how they get the staple of their food. God is allowing the Levites to have bread with their meat. And the Lord gets more glory because it's a bigger offering. Now it takes a lot of time and effort to create flour. They had to make the flour. The only offering that the Levites did not eat is the burnt offering because it's completely consumed in the fire. It's all for God because it's an offering of consecration, meaning that the person giving it is giving their whole life to God. But the other offerings, the Levites would eat part of that. And sometimes the person offering would eat part of it, like if it's a fellowship offering. 5. And wine for the drink offering, the fourth part of a hen, shalt thou prepare with the burnt offering or for the sacrifice for each lamb. Now at this point, they don't have their own vineyards, but they probably still have wine left over from when they were in Egypt. And wine can last for hundreds of years and it just gets better with time. And they did have glass bottles back then. So a drink offering is a wine offering. It's a fourth of a gallon, four cups of wine. And the wine goes with either the burnt offering or the sacrifice offering, but you don't have to bring it for the other offerings. 6. Or for a ram thou shalt prepare a meal offering, two-tenth parts of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with a third part of a hin of oil. If you're giving a ram, you give flour with it. If you're giving a lamb, you give wine with it. 7. And for a drink offering, thou shalt present the third part of a hin of wine, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. If it's strictly a drink offering, all you're bringing is wine, then you bring six cups of wine. 8. And when thou preparest a bullock for a burnt offering, or for a sacrifice in fulfillment of a vow clearly uttered, or for peace offerings unto the Lord, 9. Then shall there be presented with a bullock a meal offering of three-tenth parts of an ephah of fine flour mingled with half a hin of oil. There's different amounts of meal offering with different weights of animal. More meal offering when the animal is bigger. 10. And thou shalt present for the drink offering, half of a hin of wine, for an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. That's when you're giving a bullock. You give half a gallon, approximately, of wine. It says sweet savor because it's actually going to burn on the altar, or at least part of it will. And that scent going up is a sweet savor to the Lord because the Lord loves to forgive. It smells good to the Lord when he forgives. And these offerings are often there for consecration or forgiveness. He loves to forgive. So don't feel that you can't come to the Lord and ask him to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. There's nothing he enjoys more than to forgive you. But you do have to repent. You don't get automatically forgiven when you're in sin and you don't want to repent. You don't go into doing something wrong believing that you're forgiven while 
how you do it. Forgiveness doesn't work that way in the Bible. I know in church they tell you that you're forgiven constantly all day long no matter what you do, and that is absolutely not true. They tell you that Jesus died for your past, future, and present sin. They make you believe that while you're sinning, you're forgiven. It's not true according to the Bible in both the Old and the New Testament. You never get forgiven until you repent. There's no such thing as automatic forgiveness. Sometimes you do sin as a Christian, but you have to repent and get back on the narrow path with Jesus. You can't stay on that broad path. 11. Thus shall it be done for each bullock, or for each ram, or for each of the he lambs, or of the kids. The he lambs are the male lambs, and the kids are the goats. 12. According to the number that ye may prepare, so shall ye do for everyone according to their number. The meal offering or the drink offering, the weight of it is according to how much of an animal offering you're giving. And how much of an animal offering you're giving usually depends on how wealthy you are. You know, today there's a lot of churches that preach that we're all supposed to be rich and that we're all supposed to ask God for wealth. But in the Bible, what you see is God makes provision for those who are poor. They don't have to be rich. And even Jesus Christ said in the New Testament, he said, Blessed are the poor, for they shall have the gospel preached to them. He didn't say, Blessed are the poor, for I shall make them rich. He never said that. It isn't God's desire or plan to make all Christians rich. It's God's desire and plan that all people know his word and know him through practicing obedience, no matter what our finances are. And also, it is his will that all our needs are met. But a luxury car is not a need. And a lot of Christians are falsely persuaded into thinking that they need to be rich when they really don't. It is his will that everybody is blessed with the knowledge of him, with salvation, with having all of our physical needs met, and with peace in our lives because we're at peace with the Father. 13. All that are homeborn shall do these things after this manner, in presenting an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. 14. And if a stranger sojourn with you, or whosoever may be among you throughout your generations, and will offer an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord as ye do, so shall he do. He's saying if foreigners who live in your land want to participate and they want to offer to God, then that's great. But they have to do it exactly the way I say. Because they can't do it according to their pagan customs and pagan traditions. They have to do it according to my law. God doesn't want pagan offerings. The Catholic Church does a lot of pagan stuff. They present it as being for God. But both here in this verse and in multiple other verses that we've already read in the Old Testament, he doesn't respect anything that we do according to pagan rituals. He only respects what we do according to his law that he gave us. He doesn't want us to put on a pagan festival for him. But the Catholics and the Protestants do do it all the time because the Protestants will have trunk or treat at their church where they give out Halloween candy. They'll do all kinds of things that are very secular. The Catholic priest wears a meter on his head that's inherited from the pagan priest who dressed up like fishes for the Dagon god in Egypt. The Catholics do tons of pagan stuff. They have all the statues that are all from pagan gods, Hermes, Isis. They recognize all the pagan gods, but they just put a different name to it. They'll call, oh, this is Mary now. It's not Isis anymore. Now we're going to call it Mary. And we're not supposed to worship people anyway. And the whole candle lighting thing that both Catholics and Protestants do at holiday times or at deaths, at funerals, they'll light candles. The whole candle lighting thing is from witchcraft. 
And in the book of Jeremiah, it said, do not put up a Christmas tree. Now, it doesn't use the word Christmas tree because the word Christmas didn't exist back then, but it describes perfectly a Christmas tree. It says, don't go into the wood, chop down a tree, set it upright on wooden crossbars, which is what a Christmas tree is, and don't decorate it with silver and gold. And it says that in the book of Jeremiah. It literally is telling us not to put up a Christmas tree because it's a pagan ritual. But Christians will go around doing pagan things all the time. A lot of the pagan stuff came through the Catholic Church, but now the Protestant churches have adopted it too, and they do the same stuff. But we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking, oh, we're doing it for you. No, we're, we're doing it for ourselves because we like it. Because he has clearly stated in his word, he does not like it. And he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he didn't like it when Moses was alive, he doesn't like it now. 15. As for the congregation, there shall be one statute both for you and for the stranger that sojourneth with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. As ye are, so shall the stranger be before you. 16. One law and one ordinance shall be both for you and for the stranger that sojourneth with you. 17. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 18. Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land, whither I bring you. 19. Then it shall be that when ye eat of the bread of the land, ye shall set apart a portion for a gift unto the Lord. 20. Of the first of your dough ye shall set apart a cake for a gift, as that which is set apart of the threshing floor, so shall ye set it apart. Whenever you give God an offering, he wants the first and the best because it shows that you trust him. This is a major act of faith because it's saying, I trust you, God, to meet all my needs, even though I'm basically giving you everything I worked for, you know, the initial part of it. So I can't eat until after you have your offering. It just shows a lot of faith. And that's why God wants us to do it. He wants us to believe that he will meet our needs. Anytime I gave to the Lord, I didn't suffer at all for it. God is just good that way. 21. Of the first of your dough ye shall give unto the Lord a portion for a gift throughout your generations. 22. And when ye shall err and not observe all these commandments which the Lord hath spoken unto Moses. 23. Even all that the Lord hath commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day that the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations. 24. Then it shall be, if it be done in error by the congregation, it being hid from their eyes, that all the congregation shall offer one young bullock for a burnt offering, for a sweet savor unto the Lord, with the meal offering thereof, and the drink offering thereof, according to the ordinance, and one he goat for a sin offering. You might say, well, how can you sin without knowing it? Well, if you haven't heard the scripture yet, and this will actually happen further on in the Bible, I believe it was King Hezekiah. His people hadn't heard the scripture in years and years, and so they were sinning against the Lord. They weren't offering the offerings. They weren't keeping the festivals. They were sinning in other ways, too. They didn't even know it because no one had read them the law for a long time. And then the law was found in, in the temple that when they were renovating it. And the law was read to Hezekiah and he repented. And then he had it read to all the people and they repented. And then they offered a sacrifice because they had been sinning for years and not even knowing it. A lot of people, when they first start reading the Bible, that's when they first become aware of how much sin is in their life. Because they were raised thinking, you know, it's okay to do this, it's okay to do that, it's okay to do this. But when they read the Bible, they're surprised and they're like, oh, I can't believe it. God doesn't want me to do these things. Once they realize, then they repent and they start living for the Lord. So it is possible that you cannot know the law. I've known tons of people, including Christians, who don't know the law of God. 
25, And the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the children of Israel, and they shall be forgiven, for it was an error. And they have brought their offering, an offering made by fire unto the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their error. 26, And all the congregation of the children of Israel shall be forgiven, and the stranger that sojourneth among them, for in respect for all the people it was done in error. 27. And if one person sin through error, then he shall offer a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. Female animals are worth more than the male animals because a bunch of goats can come out of a female. So it's actually a greater offering when you give the female monetarily. 28. And the priest shall make atonement for the soul that erreth when he sinneth through error before the Lord to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. 29. Both he that is home born among the children of Israel and the stranger that sojourneth among them, ye shall have one law for him that doeth aught in error. So again, no pagan rituals allowed. Why does God want them to give an offering even if they sinned without knowing it? Once they become aware of their sin, at that point they're responsible and they're guilty. Now this is not an excuse not to read the Bible, and I've also known Christians who refuse to read the Bible because they don't want to know what it says, because they don't want to be responsible for what it says. There's a lot of people who are terrified of the Bible because if they read it, they know they're going to have to repent, and that's the last thing they want to do. Deep in their heart, they do know that they're sinning, and they think that because they refuse to read the Bible, therefore they're off the hook, but that isn't true. Because if your conscience is bothering you to the point where you're afraid to read scripture, you're guilty. God isn't stupid. He looks at our hearts. That's what Jesus said in the New Testament. 30. But the soul that doeth aught with a high hand, whether he be home-born or a stranger, the same blasphemeth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. 31. Because he hath despised the word of the Lord, and hath broken his commandment, that soul shall utterly be cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. This isn't talking about any old sin, because all sins can be forgiven. Now today, because we're in the New Covenant, we don't do any ordinances at all. But if we're still blasphemous against the Lord and we make up stuff that isn't true about Him, then we're totally not in His family. We are cut off from salvation if we're blaspheming Him. There's a lot of New Age in the church today because there's tons of false prophets and false teachers out there who are teaching people New Age practices. They're basically teaching hypnotism techniques to make it look like you're casting out demons and make it look like you're healing people when you're not. They're also practicing brainwashing techniques. They're practicing fortune telling, which is witchcraft. A lot of these prophets today, they have a new, basically it's like a fortune. Every single day or every single week, they come out with a new so-called prophecy. And these prophecies are always very vague and can't be disproven because they can't be proven either because they're so vague. Like I can think of one prophet that she comes out with videos and says, there's going to be a death soon somewhere in Washington, D.C. A high-ranking official will die. That's fortune telling. Of course, some high-ranking official in Washington is going to die. I don't have to be a fortune teller to say that because death is inevitable and there's a lot of high-ranking people in Washington. And I'm sure there's probably at least 5 or 10 or 15 or 100 people in Washington who die every day. So duh, yeah, a high-ranking official in Washington is soon going to die. And that's how fortune cookies are, are made. They'll tell you something like, be kind to your neighbor. Well, of course you should be kind to your neighbor. And that applies to everybody on the planet. Or they'll say, you're going to meet a stranger this week. Well, who among us is not going to meet a stranger this week? Have you ever passed a week in your life when you didn't come across a stranger? Of course you're going to meet a stranger. That's how fortune telling works. They only tell you what you already know. And then you ridiculously believe that that's a fortune when it's not. It's actually common knowledge. 
Open up any fortune cookie, and what is in there is going to be common knowledge. And same thing with these prophets that come out. They never pinpoint anything exactly. They don't give exact names, exact dates, whatever, because then they'll be proven wrong. And when they do occasionally slip up and give an actual date, somehow no one seems to notice or care, and then they come up with a new date. There's a really famous Jewish Christian prophet that has come up with like four different dates for the rapture of Christ in the last 10 years and written multiple books with different dates. And this person is one of the most famous and well-loved prophets on the planet. People come up with their own stuff, and we're not supposed to do our own stuff. We're supposed to do what God said to do. 32. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks upon the Sabbath day. 33. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. 34. And they put him in ward, so basically they put him in jail, because it had not been declared what should be done unto him, because they knew he had violated the law. The law is you aren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. The work itself is not a sin. God loves it when we work hard. But working on the Sabbath means that you don't trust God to provide for your needs, that you feel that you have to provide for your own needs. Basically, it means that you don't think God has any power, or that he loves you, or that he even exists. It's blasphemy when you work on the Sabbath, according to the Old Testament, because you're basically saying God isn't God. I still have to gather sticks to take care of myself. Now, in the New Covenant, we can work every single day of the week. But Jesus is our Sabbath rest, which means we rest from sin, we don't practice sin, and we rest from religion. We don't practice religious (coughs) rituals to be saved. It's a spiritual rest where you don't sin and you don't practice religion. You can go to church, but you don't practice rituals to be saved. But in the Old Testament, they were supposed to actually stay at home and physically rest to show God that they trusted him and that they believed in his power and his love. So this man didn't believe. That's why he was gathering sticks. 35. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. 36. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. The reason they took him outside the camp is because it would be unclean because he's going to die. It's going to be a dead body. So they don't want a dead body in the camp. His punishment was death because he didn't believe that the Lord was the Lord. He believed that he was his own Lord, and he had to take care of himself. 37. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 38. Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them throughout their generations fringes in the corners of their garments, and that they put with the fringe of each corner a thread of blue. Blue represents holiness. We think of that as purity today. They're called to be pure because God is pure. 39. And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that ye may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, and that ye go not about after your own heart and your own eyes, after which ye used to go astray. So he's saying, whenever you see the fringe on your garment, you're supposed to remember God's law, and remember to follow his law. 40. That ye may remember and do all my commandments, and be holy unto your God. Blue is holiness, and holiness in modern speaking is purity. 41. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. We see the fringe in Chinese clothing and especially in Native American clothing. Some of the Native American dress was blue cowhide, blue suede leather. The whole garment was blue with fringes on it. And you'll also notice in Native American clothing that they have a chest plate. I think that resembles the breastplate 
that's in the Old Testament that the high priest wore on the ephod. The ephod was that ornamental apron, and then the chest plate went on top of the ornamental apron, and it had all the stones in it. You can see there's a lot of ancient Jewish stuff in ancient Native American culture, so I do think that they're like relatives of the Jews. But I think the Chinese are too, because the meaning of ancient Chinese characters actually tells key Bible stories. And there's evidence that the Chinese had offerings that they gave to the one true God long before Buddhism and Confucianism and Hinduism came into China. There is evidence that Israelites spread all over the world, and today they don't know they're Israelites anymore. Now they've adopted a bunch of other religions, and they don't really understand their ancient history. That's the end of Numbers chapter 15.